1: Fishing like a local is having an experience that stays with you forever. And with Fishing Booker, you can experience it too, no matter where you are. Discover your next adventure on Fishing Booker. Hey, can you take a punch? How about a punch from a 460 Weatherby Magnum, one of the hardest-hitting cartridges in the world? We're going to tackle that and a lot more on this episode of Ron Spomer Outdoors Podcast. Hey, glad to have you guys. We've got some interesting comments here from one of our fans about a 460 Weatherby Magnum. This thing is absolutely huge. And very few professional hunters in Africa reportedly use it because it has an unusual combination of recoil, bullet energy, and ineffectiveness on targets for some crazy reason. But before we dive into all of that, let's just hear from our our fan here. And I don't even have his name. I'm sorry, I dropped it. It's not on the page here, but the points are well made. Good evening, Ron. Today, I was driving to West Texas from Oklahoma from work, and I was listening to one of your podcasts. In that podcast, you were reading from someone who owned every caliber of Weatherby Ever Made. Toward the end of that topic, you asked if anyone had ever shot the 460 Weatherby Magnum. Well, I'm here to tell you, I have. Growing up, one of my favorite things to do when at a sporting goods store was to go through and open boxes of ammo in all different calibers. I'd look at the sizes of bullets, the weights, the velocity, and the energy. I was so intrigued by all of the different types that manufacturers built, and I still am today. To my story about the 460 Weatherby Magnum, growing up in my adolescence, my best friend's granddad was a big-time safari hunter. He owned a landscaping business, and I remember his office was full of different African game mounts, including an elephant, a giraffe, a lion, a buffalo, and all sorts of big game. I believe I was around 14 or 15 at the time that I asked him what he shot his elephant with. He went into his large safe room and brought out a 460 Weatherby Magnum. I will never forget the size of that cartridge. Holding it in my hand, ooh, well, at that time, I was shooting a 6 millimeter Remington for deer. This thing was massive, and I asked him how badly it kicked. I remember him telling me that it was completely obnoxious, and it felt like you were being kicked by a horse. Time went on and years passed by and my friend's granddad passed away while we were both in college. My friend was granted certain rifles of his granddad's and the 460 Weatherby just happened to be one of them. Several more years passed by and I eventually met back up with my friend, told him to be sure and bring that 460 out so he could shoot it. Sure enough, he did. And I only shot it one time. (laughs) I could not imagine shooting that gun once and then having it for a hunting arm. It would be, well, I would be too far scared to ever pull the trigger again. (laughs) That is one of the issues with that 460 uh, Weatherby Magnum. Its recoil is reportedly brutal. I have not had the chance to shoot one. If I get it, I will use it, (laughs) maybe only one time myself. But to give you some idea of what this thing does It will throw a 500-grain bullet around 2,500 to 2,550 feet per second. I think that's out of a 26-inch barrel. And the rifles are generally really heavy. So I did some numbers on um, the recoil and such. The energy that that bullet carries at that velocity is around 7,500 foot-pounds. You want to put that in perspective. Think about about a 180-grain bullet out of a 300 Winchester Magnum, around 3,000 foot-pounds. So you've more than doubled that. <laughs> now, what about the recoil? You're gonna well over double that one too. In a twelve-pound rifle, which not too many of us would like to lug around all day, you are going to generate around ninety-three foot-pounds of recoil energy. <laughs> and in comparison to this one, think of a 30 six with a hundred and eighty-grain bullet at around two thousand seven hundred feet per second recoil there. In an eight-pound rifle will be about 25 foot pounds. So mm, that should put it into perspective for you. Now, for a long time, that 460 Weatherby Magnum was the most powerful cartridge built in America, an American cartridge. Uh, there was the 458 Wind Mag, and then this 460 Weatherby kind of blew that one out of the water. Um, but nowadays there are some bigger ones. I can think of two. One is the 577 Tyrannosaur. That's not a real common one. It's a proprietary cartridge. Um, I think that thing can generate close to 10,000 foot pounds of energy, if I'm not mistaken. Don't know the recoil, but it's going to be a lot more. And the other big one would be uh, 600 Nitro Express. Very few of, I don't think there are many, probably not even a hundred rifles in the world chambered for that one. Pretty sure that's a British manufacturer there. And then there are a few 700 Nitro Expresses. And I think that was mostly a gimmick just so someone could say, We have built the largest shoulder fired cartridge and rifle in the world. uh And I don't even know what that one's throwing. I think it's something like a. A thousand grain bullet. Um, and not all that fast, but when you've cut that much weight in the bullet, you're going to have plenty of energy. Not something most of us are going to fool around with. But if you ever get the chance to shoot a 460, please do so and report back to us and maybe send us pictures of your shoulder. <laughs> I'm going to try it first chance I get, but it doesn't sound like it's uh, an experience too many of us want to repeat. All right, let's see what else we've got going on today here. Now, we got um, something about 308 Winchester. This always comes up. I dr- address it a lot. The 308 Winchester is, of course, one of the most popular, if not the most popular, centerfire cartridges in America and probably around the world as well. Uh, it's kind of odd that it's been around since 1952 and it really didn't come on really strongly until. I don't know, I suppose the last 30 years or something, but it has managed to cement itself as one of the best all-around accurate cartridges for a mix of hunting and target shooting. But while doing that, there have grown up around it a lot of myths and misconceptions. Some of them justified, some of them not so much. And that's why I constantly bring up the 308 Winchester to sort of tamp down these over expectations that too many of us have had. One of them has been a long time that it's the superior sniper cartridge. And while it has been quite accurate for some sniping at reasonable ranges, that doesn't mean it's a thousand yard sniping cartridge. It really kind of runs out of gas and poops out after about 600 yards, becomes increasingly popular to hit the target because of wind deflection in the bullet as well as drop. And I've seen some pretty good statistics showing that a 243 Winchester can outshoot it as far as hitting your target. Not going to have as much energy on target, but at longer ranges, it gives you a better option because there's not as much wind deflection. And there's a lot of details one can go into on that. But let's just see what someone called Sandra had to tell me about a magazine article that said or suggested that 308 Winchester was really accurate. And this is an example, I think, of faulty reasoning. You don't think deeply enough through all this stuff and you can come up with these myths, misconceptions and myths. So Sandra says Handloader magazine tested. 270 different loads for the .30-06 in a recent issue, and they used different powders and bullets, and the best that the .30-06 rifle could do, and only did that twice, was .550-inch groups. I don't know if those were five-shot or three-shot groups. I personally have tested several 308 rifles, and they do half-inch groups all the time, and if I do my part, they will do as good as .330 so clearly, the 308 is more inherently accurate than the 30-06. Now, I think some of you can already see why I'm saying this is faulty reasoning. I assume that this handloader article with the 270 different loads tested was with the same rifle, and uh, this individual getting great groups of 0.33 inches with the 308 uh, suggests that that's one rifle as well. But that's the point. What was the rifle? Was the ammunition inherently more accurate? Was the cartridge inherently more accurate? Or was it the rifle? And this is one of the points I always make about the 308 Winchester. And my contention has long been that the 308 is famous for accuracy and usually is quite accurate because the ammunition and rifles built for it are built with special attention to accuracy. The out 6 not being a famous target rifle cartridge anymore, is pretty much just banged out for the average hunter shooting his over-the-counter factory rifle to go deer hunting or elk hunting. So they're not putting a lot of time into selling the best loads, the most accurate loads, the most carefully tailored loads and or bullets and all the rest of it the way they will with the 308 Winchester. Similarly, there are many rifles built with match grade chambers and barrels and all the rest for the 308 Winchester, but not the 30 six. And naturally, more people then will say, "Wow, I get great accuracy out of my 308. It must be an inherently accurate cartridge. Maybe it is. I haven't seen a lot of evidence to suggest it when you build a superior cartridge and use a superior bullet in a superior rifle chambered for, a 300 Winchester Magnum, a 30-06 or any of the other 30s that shoot the same bullets as the 308, I'm pretty well convinced that you're going to get similar if not better accuracy out of any of those. There's not an inherent advantage in the 308. Although it is a nicely balanced cartridge with not too much power and powder in it so it is a little easier to make it shoot more accurately there's also less recoil so the shooter can be more accurately it all adds up but the main point about the 308 is that it's a great all-around easily obtained rifle and ammunition it as i've said in many of my blogs and articles on the 308 it is a Goldilocks cartridge it can do and will do just about anything a typical hunter would want it to do you're not going to hunt extreme range with it. You're not going to hunt the biggest, roughest, toughest, meanest, dangerous game with it. But for deer and elk and pronghorn and all the common game, the 308 Winchester can handle it out to 400 yards with a good shooter, good rifle, good accurate ammunition, wonderful cartridge. If that turns your crank, get yourself a 308 Winchester and you'll be set. Okay, let's see who's next. Oh, we get a bunch of stuff again about shooting glasses. So let's emphasize the safety factor here, guys. I got chastised for not always wearing safety glasses when I shoot. Guilty as charged, but I think it is excellent advice to always have those good, safe glasses on. And if you can get the full coverage wraparounds so much, the better. As I've mentioned before, I use prescription glasses for seeing at distance and I will keep those on. I get them built with the uh, shatterproof polycarbonate lenses in them so that I've got my safety there, but sometimes forget to wear the darn things. So here's what William has to say I know a guy, I'm not going to say if it was me, lots of laugh, that, that accidentally fired a 308 through a 300 WSM. The shooter didn't have safety glasses on because the handloads were known to be safe in those rifles. Well, that shooter almost lost an eye. A lesson was learned about not having multiple rifles and boxes of ammo on the bench at the same time while you're shooting. It is easy to grab the wrong one by mistake when you're single feeding. And that's why he recommends always wearing your safety glasses. I had a similar thing happen, William. I was doing shooting tests with a 25 out 6 and a seven millimeter 08. And at the time I was actually using the same brand of ammunition and they came in the same boxes. They had the same colors and everything else. And I was in the middle of transitioning from shooting the 708 Remington to the 25-06 and moving things off the bench and into the car. When I got some phone calls, it disrupted me and I lost my focus and I ended up sitting down with the 708 ammunition still on the bench shoved it into the 25-06 chamber, pulled the trigger. I didn't have any disaster, but uh, I didn't put a hole in the target. I got an incredible reading on the chronograph. (laughs) And when I opened the action, smoke, black smoke poured out. The primer fell out of the back of the cartridge. And oh my goodness, I had fired that 708 in the 25-06. Now, some people might ask, how the heck did you get a 7 millimeter? and that's a 0.284 inch diameter bullet inside of a 25 caliber that is set up for a 0.257 inch diameter bullet how did you even get that cartridge in the rifle in the chamber well the 7 millimeter 08 was made by necking down the 308 the 308 is pretty much the 30-06 shortened and the 30 six neck down to 25 caliber is the 25 six. So basically, the base, the head, the body diameter, all of that are the same. It's just that the seven millimeter 08 is a short action, whereas the 25 six is standard length action like the 30 six. The result is you can get that short action 708 in the chamber of the 25, and then you've got to get that bullet down the bore. <laughs> Oh, you better have a soft bullet to pull off what I did. Fortunately, I was shooting some cup and core bullets, thin jackets, soft lead core, and it was able to squeeze down and get through that little bore without exploding anything. It was an incredibly strong action, too. A single-shot Dakota Arms Model 10. That's now made by Park West, so it's known as a Park West Arms SD-10. But those are incredibly strong actions. (coughs) Everything held together, and uh, I learned my lesson. Don't mix your ammo up on the bench. Take care. Always look at your head stamps and make sure they're right for the rifle you're shooting. And wear those safety glasses. All right, this is from Stefan. He says, I would like to add something about safety glasses. Not all are created the same. I sold safety supplies for many decades and for shooting, I always wear ballistic rated safety glasses. Non-rated glasses may provide some degree of protection, but can't stop fast moving particles. In fact, some less expensive glasses can shatter if subjected to an impact. Ballistic testing is more stringent and safety glasses that have that rating are your best insurance against a projectile or fragment penetrating the lens or shattering the lens. Let's face it, you only get one set of eyes protect them at all costs, shoot safe, happy new year, and God bless. Well, thank you, Stefan. I was not aware of that, but apparently there are some ratings. So when you're shopping for your shooting glasses, you probably don't want to pick up the inexpensive little pairs that uh, are on all the shelves. You might want to do some research and get something that has this safety rating on, what did he call it? Ballistic rated safety glasses. So thanks for that information, Stefan. We're look into that. All right, um, Malware says, Ron, regarding your last tip of the week, do you consider a couple of passes with a boar snake to be cleaning a barrel? Sometimes there may be atmospheric moisture in the boar after an early morning or late evening hunt, and a couple of passes with a boar snake will dry that. Do you think that that will affect precision, such as a full barrel cleaning would? Thanks, Mike, from Florida, where it's humid. (laughs) Well, Mike, that's a good question. Um, A boar snake... That's the device that you pull through your barrel, and I think those are great for having in the field, whether you're hunting or at the range, for a quick cleanup, just gets the, you know, the top of the debris out. You're not going to be polishing things or getting all of the copper falling out and that sort of thing, and then that brings up the question of, is that good enough to affect or change your accuracy? It might change your accuracy or your grouping minimally, um, but If you are thinking of going from a gilded metal jacketed bullet, your traditional bullet, to an all copper bullet, this is where the issue comes in on accuracy. It seems that if you've laid down some fouling with traditional bullets, and then you try to test for accuracy, some copper bullets, the accuracy will be poor. And I've seen this in my own shooting. You uh, are suggested to and recommended to clean your barrel down to the bare metal before starting to test these copper bullets for accuracy. And I think that is worth heeding. Otherwise, you just waste time and money shooting copper bullets and you think they're really inaccurate. And then you don't end up using them when in reality, if you started with a clean bore, you might find that they're super accurate and you might really love them. Whether I don't think that bore snake can do the job. I really have to, to polish with a rod and a tight brush and quite often I'll use JB bore compound for polishing to get all of the copper out and get down to bare metal. It takes a lot of passes, sometimes as many as a hundred back and forth with that JB compound on it to really get it clean. So I don't think the boar snake will do the job for you, but it's still very useful to carry in the field for cleaning out your barrel and getting that moisture out as you recommend it. And after every cleaning, especially if you're in a moist environment with a lot of humidity, You do want to oil lightly that bore to keep it from getting rusty. And then before you go out shooting again, just run a dry patch down in case there's any excessive oil in it. And never put grease in a bore. You can put grease in a bore for long-term storage, but you don't want it in there and then shoot over it because it builds up. You know, it's pretty heavy, thick stuff and that increases pressures when you shoot. Okay, now we're going to see what the team has pulled up for us. Oh, before we jump into the questions of the week, we want to mention again, our book is out, the seven millimeters here. It's pretty much every seven millimeter cartridge in the world, all that I could dredge up. Uh, Some of them are proprietary cartridges. You may have never heard of a lot of them are wildcats, which are kind of fun. And some of them are European. Some of them are U S pretty much all the ones in the cover are available in the U S of A. And those are currently, um, Go to the market and you should be able to find them. Some of them, because of our current shortages, are a little bit difficult to find. It's crazy what's going on since uh, post-COVID. But if you want to find out all about the 7 millimeter cartridges, where they came from and who invented them and how fast they go and all the rest, should be in the book. So you might want to check it out. It's on Amazon. You can go to RonSpomerOutdoors.com, our website. Go to the store and buy it there, autographed copies. Cheaper if you buy it on Amazon, but if you want to Ron Spomer Hancock, <laughs> happy to do it for you. Okay, let's see. We've got somebody from South Carolina named John asking about bullets. Ron, huge fan here. Thanks a lot, John. I'm wanting to load my 300 Winchester Magnum for deer and elk. Same load for both. Is the Barnes TTS-X165 grain a good option for both? I'll be shooting 500 yards or less. Great. Thank you for shooting under 500 yards. Um, I'm not in favor of these extreme range shots at game. Love it for target shooting. So I think you're right on there. And then, yeah, I would say that you've got the perfect selection right there. That 165 grain bullet in a TTSX. Whew, that is going to penetrate like, gosh, probably 190 grain bullet with a lead core in it. It's just those Barnes TTS-Xs flare open, get those pedals nice and wide for excellent expansion. And then they're churning, they've got sharp edges on them. They stay in one piece, unless you hit a major bone or something, you might shear a pedal off. But they retain so much of their mass that they continue driving really deep. And that is why they're so effective. I've used them on all kinds of game and just have wonderful luck with it. I think it's a nicely balanced load at 165 grains. I would call it the equivalent of a 180 grain cup and core bullet, or not even cup and core, but the, the bonded bullets or the partition styles that do a pretty good job of retaining more of their mass. This thing will penetrate as well as those, if not better. And you don't have to be taking the recoil from a 180 grain bullet. So good option. Good luck on your hunts there, John. Now, close to John is Peter just down in Florida. Um, and he's talking about a 260, 270 Winchester, 30 at six Brass, Oh, I don't think we're going to go here. Peter, I appreciate that. What Peter is doing is explaining the history of the development of the 270 from the 3003 case. I've long intended that the 270 is made from the 30-06. Uh, a lot of the histories say it was made from the 3003. Remember, the 3003 was the initial U.S. cartridge that brought us the 30-06. There was a very slight change between those two. But the 3003 government cartridge for the military only lasted for about three years, whereas the 030 6 then took over, and that was used in World War I and World War II, and that was used to develop all kinds of other cartridges, one of which I think was the 270. But a lot of folks say that it was really the case off of the older 3003 that they used. There's such a minute difference in dimension on these that I don't think it really matters, but some history buffs really like to dive into this. And it sounds like that's what Peter's doing here because he has extensive information on the history and development of that cartridge my goodness, he's going clear back to 1901 when they started working on things. But I don't think most of us are wanna to, want to read through. We've got two pages of information here. But Peter, I thank you for sending that stuff in. I am going to read this and uh, learn a few things from you. And then maybe I could sum it up later for folks. But I, I always enjoy Uh, people who really dive into the nitty-gritty on these things and and help us all to understand a bit of our history and where these cartridges have come from. You sometimes turn up some pretty fascinating things that way. All right, let's go out to Arizona, where Christopher is uh, asking something about long-range shooting pronghorns. Yeah, let's just see what he has to say. I just watched a video on pronghorn hunting, where a father had his 18-year-old daughter take a shot at her first antelope. The shot was 680 yards. It died with one shot after about 30 seconds or so. Even for a very experienced hunter, that is stretching ethics. Having a first-time antelope hunter take that shot is, in my opinion, irresponsible, Christopher says. Yes, it worked, but one puff of wind and it could have been a gut shot or a miss. What I am thinking is the wind never blows in pronghorn country. Come on, please address this type of conduct in a video. I have a 6.5 PRC that with 156 grain elite hunter bullets at 3,003 feet per second would hit hard enough to kill a pronghorn at 1,500 yards on paper, but I wouldn't try it if it were dead calm. Okay. Well, Christopher, there are a lot of contentious discussions about this long range shooting stuff, but um, in this situation, I'm going to have to agree with you. Um, I, I really don't think it's all that smart for experienced long range shooters to take or try to take game beyond about 500 yards, maybe 600 yards if they're really, really good. And it's not because they don't have the gear, the bullets, the optics and all the rest of it nor the skill with which to do this stuff. It's that darned unpredictability of both the wind and the animal moving. You know, the, the time of flight of the bullet to get there, if it stretches over much more than about a third to maybe a half of a second, that is enough time for the wind to shift out there downrange somewhere and mess up your calculations. And if you don't understand this, if you haven't really dived into long-range bullet ballistics and wind deflection, you might be amazed at how much difference a little bit of wind can make. You get your calculations based on a 15-mile-an-hour wind, and then it turns out that a fourth (coughs) of the way downrange, it changes to a 2-mile-an-hour wind or a 20-mile-an-hour. What does that do? How does that mess up your shot? And by golly, it messes them up so, yeah, I think it's irresponsible to be taking such long, long shots routinely and especially having an inexperienced hunter do it. And, and I see this fairly often. You know, an excited long range shooter will take his wife, girlfriend or daughter or son or some young new shooter out and be so excited about getting them to make that first shot and they will instruct them and they'll do all the dialing and they'll set everything up and the rifle will be locked down nice and solidly on a prone position with support and everything sounds just perfect but golly that new shooter might might flinch might get buck fever Uh, who knows what even with the experienced shooter as we've said earlier it can it can really mess up easily. So yes, I I think it's poor behavior on the part of the long range shooters and especially setting up a young hunter to do that. I really think we need to be teaching hunting more than long range shooting. If you want that new shooter to be uh, banging steel targets at 800 yards, 1500 yards, whatever, go for it. No harm, no foul if you mess up a steel target, but on a pronghorn or an elk or anything else, It is a big deal. Let's now try Brandon again from, oh, this is Brandon from Utar, U-T-A-R. I heard from him not too long ago and responded to him on this podcast, and he's writing again. And I have since looked it up. And Utar is a university in Malaysia. So it's an I guess an American university in Malaysia or something, but must be that Brandon is going to school there or something. So let's see what he has to say. Okay, Ron, I'm trying to decide on my Magnum rifle, though I am torn between three big contenders the 300 Win Mag, the new 7mm PRC, and the barrel burning 28 Nozzler. Can we get a head to head competition on these bad boys? I know I can go up the Magnum route there, but these three are the ones I'm thinking will cover many of my needs as an infrequent big game hunter, thanks. (laughs) Okay, Brandon, I'll tell you what. I'll tackle those in a full-blown YouTube video on my regular channel someday. But for now, I'll have to tell you this. If I were choosing among these three, oh man, I don't even know how I would go. The 28 Nosler, if I wanted the ultimate long reach uh, seven Gosh, that 28 nozzler is kind of hard to turn down. You know, it fits the 30 out six length action, so you can get a fairly light rifle. It's, oh man, I don't know. The 7PRC, though, it's got a lot going for it too. Shoots about the same velocity as the 7 rem mag, which I love and has obviously been around and proven itself many times. But you can shoot a little bit longer bullets with it, a little more precisely, perhaps, because it's been built for precision shooting. So it's the optimized 7-rem mag, shall we say. That's got a lot going for it, too. And then you do have that barrel burning. I don't worry too much about the barrel burning with the 28 Nosler because I'm not going to be shooting that thing time after time after time quickly. It's a big game rifle. It'll last probably a lifetime for any big game hunter. So I wouldn't worry too much about that. But you are going to be burning a little more powder in it, so it's not quite as efficient. But, man, there are a lot of uh, users of the 28 Nosler around here, and they report just excellent results. I have shot it a little bit, um, but because I have a 7 RAM mag that's so accurate, I just kind of stick with that. I'll, I'll do some numbers for you, and we'll do that regular video, and you'll get an answer there, Brandon. So stay tuned to Ron Spomer Outdoors' YouTube channel. Oh, back to Florida. Brian. I have my first black bear hunt scheduled this upcoming December in Pennsylvania. I have two loads I've worked up, and I'd like your opinion on which is the better option. Number one, a 130 grain Nosler partition at 3,010 feet per second. Number two, a 150 grain Nosler Acubon bullet at 2,870 feet per second. I shoot sub three quarter inch groups with both. That's not just three quarter inch groups, it's three quarter MOA. So he's carrying that out there as far as he needs to. I really enjoy your writings and videos, and I want to thank you for making all of this knowledge available to us. Well, Brian, I appreciate that. My pleasure, glad to do it. I have fun sharing all this stuff with you guys, and I appreciate you sharing your discoveries with me as well. Now, you've got two really good options here. I have long said that the the Nosler Acubond, a bonded bullet that's a little more sleekly shaped and designed than the Nosler Partition, is roughly in performance, uh, terminal performance, equal to the partition because it's bonded and the partition is not. So what I have noticed with partitions over the years is that the nose lead is a cup and core setup. So you're going to lose most of that low nose lead and you get the fragments of lead going through the carcass and whatnot all, but that does add to trauma and breaking of uh, blood vessels and you get more hemorrhaging that way and then the back part about 40 percent of the bullet is locked on the shank and that continues your penetration so it's worked out wonderfully ever since the first ones came out in 1948 believe it or not but the shape of that bullet is not all that modern so you're giving up a little bit of downrange performance you're going to lose more energy downrange and you're going to get more deflection and more drop and whatnot that's why i like the acubon so, because you're driving that 130-grain Nosler partition faster and but because you've got a higher aerodynamic efficiency out of the 150-grain AccuBond even though it's slower, I think it's going to give you the best performance at longer distances. The question is, how far do you need to shoot in Pennsylvania? I'm going to guess you're shooting at this bear at 100 yards or less, but I don't know, maybe you've got some long runways that you can shoot or some fields that you're shooting across. So, I think you need to decide this based on what you anticipate shooting. If you think it's going to be close cover in the woods, I think I just go with the partition, but either one's going to work just fine. I think really at this point, we're splitting hairs and nitpicking. So <laughs> sounds like you've got a great load any way you run with it. So take your choice and then get back to us and let us know how you did after your bear hunt. Good luck. All right, let's go out to the Rocky Mountains and have a Colorado high here with Bob. It seems mostly that when you discuss 30 caliber bullets, there's little to no conversation on the benefits of the 165 grain bullet. I like and use them for deer and elk, and I load them in our 308s, our 30 out 6, and our 300 wind mags. Also, I use Nosler's reloading data and Hornady's ballistic calculator to get a general idea of velocity and energy. Also, is there a 165 grain 30 caliber bullet with a higher BC than the 0.520 uh, like the Spear Boat Tail Spire Point? Whew. Well, Bob, um, I have mentioned the 165 grain bullet. I actually have listed it as my favorite based all around bullet for the 30-06. I think you optimize performance in the 30-06 with that 165 or 168 grain bullet. Um, that's a great option. But they're also great in the 300 wind mags. Um, About top of the heap for a 308. I, I don't think the 308 handles much heavier weights than that really well unless you're hunting really close and you just want a lot of energy on target. Then you can go with a 180 even. But for long range precision, as well as great punch and everything else and not too much recoil, that 165 grain bullet's a great choice, especially if you get it in a premium controlled expansion style. So you're talking the bonded bullets or the partition style bullets or a hybrid like the uh, Federal Terminal Ascent or any of the coppers. And with the coppers in a 30 caliber, you can go easily down to 150 and get the same performance. So you're on it there. Now, the BC at, oh man, higher than 520, I'm not even real sure you're going to get an actual BC of 0.520 out of that spear boat tail spire point. That surprises me that they're even claiming that. They generally don't have that high of BCs in their bullets, but they may have a new one I'm not familiar with. Sierra's uh, boat tail spire point, 165 grain bullet, they are usually pretty sleek, but I think theirs is still under five. The uh, burger will have one that's over five. Burger bullets, they've got one that's about a 0.520 or something close to that. And I think, if I remember right, Nosler is claiming, um, yeah, an Acubon long-range bullet. They sometimes claim a little bit higher than they actually end up shooting. But I'm thinking they were going up as high as a 0.535 or so. On their 165 grain. So you might want to check that out. And then I'm forgetting what Hornady has. I would guess they would have one of their ELDX bullets in 165 or 168. So you might want to check that. So, yeah, that's the best I can tell you. But hey, more power to you for using that 165 and figuring out for yourself that that's a great option in the 30 calibers, especially that 30 six. So, all right. Good luck with those. Uh, let us know how you do with them, Bob. And Brian Brandon and Tim and Chris and all the rest of you guys, I would really appreciate you writing in and asking those questions. Those are some good ones today. And um, to, I apologize to whoever sent in this 460. Uh, I got so excited about the information on that 460 Weatherby Magnum that I forgot to put the, the gentleman's name down here but thanks for bringing that up because most folks like to hear about big elephant cartridges with a lot of recoil. It just intrigues all of us because most of us don't get to shoot those kinds of um, big kickers. Uh, And when we do, we're always happy to report we've survived. (laughs) So thanks everybody. Uh, We'll catch you all again next time on our next podcast until then on honest and shoot straight.